Hey, everybody. How you doing? This is David Silvera from Bias. You're listening to Appetite for Distortion with Brando on iHeartRadio. Do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? This is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 128. Coming up in just a few minutes, we'll be speaking with David Silvera, who is the ex-drummer of Corn. He has a new band, Bias. And you know we're going to find our six degrees of uh, Guns N' Roses bacon to connect what he's doing with our world of, of GNR. But in the meantime, and I want to do this right away because, I mean, he's more than... Uh, going to be more than my co-host. He's my, not my co-friend. I don't know where I was going with this. News. Do you miss the sound bites, my dear Ian? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, man. No. You actually, <laughs> know what I was going to ask you about, because um, I have heard the new intro, which is cool. I think you've mentioned it before, but now it's original music. Who performed that again? Uh, Mike Squires. Okay. From uh, Duffman Kagan's Loaded. That's so cool, man. Yeah. Because that's like as close as you're going to get to GNR performing something, and it's, I mean, it sounds badass. It is uh, really special and very nice. One of the cool things that has happened to me since you've left, <laughs> uh, and... Mike, I feel, has been inspired by doing, you know, being on the podcast, and now he has his own couch riffs where he gets people, including Duff, to come to his uh, apartment in Brooklyn and oh, rock nice. out to some pop tune and just interview him some couch riffs. That's uh, cool. I'd man. like to think as a, a, I mean, it's his own idea, but I don't know. He was, he was inspired, or at least uh, got the podca- podcast uh, gene in him from, yeah. from doing the show. Yeah, I feel like I've seen that a lot. Where people will be a guest and they're like, I should start my own podcast. And sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're not, you know, but uh, you you were saying before, it's true. Like everybody has a podcast now. Everyone has a podcast. And obviously, if you don't know this voice, this show used to be uh, Appetite for Distortion <laughs> with Brando and Scotto, yep. my friend uh, Ian Scotto. And when you first said to me, texted me, I remember I was sitting at my little cubicle here at iHeart. And you're like, we should do a Guns N' Roses podcast. And I thought you were an idiot. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, yeah, they're my favorite band, but you know, other than maybe an episode, would be fun to talk about them. And well, it's he, funny because he, here I am looking back. Um, I mean, I really did think of it as like a limited engagement type of thing because you remember I originally was we were throwing around names and I said appetite for reunion because everybody was talking about the reunion. Right. So I thought it was going to be like we'll talk to we'll talk to some people. We'll discuss the reunion stuff. I didn't see it going on as long as it has and growing as much as you've made this thing grow and like getting A-list people on from Dave Mustaine to Tom Green. Like it's a ton of awesome names to have on here. I know. Not to be lost as we're – before we go anywhere else, as we're recording this, uh, what is today, uh, June 17th? Prayers goes yeah, out yeah. To, to Dave Mustaine. Is that what you said? I idolize Slash? <laughs> that was my awkward interaction with him on the show, and he just <laughs> came out publicly and says that he has uh, throat cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A... Uh, he said he, there's a 90% success rate. He's already done some treatment. Uh, some dates are going to be canceled, but the mega cruise is still going on. It sounds like all the dates, which is kind of crazy because um, if you remember, they were opening for Ozzy, 
and then Ozzy had to cancel dates because of his health issues. Yeah. So that can't that postponed that tour. Now I guess they'll have to find a new a new opener because from what he said, it seems like other than this cruise, all 2019 dates aren't happening. So I don't know. I guess Oz, Ozzy continues going. Which it's getting. I mean, he's he's an old dude, but with, without Megadeth and find the new opener, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people who bought tickets to those shows bought tickets specifically for Megadeth. Oh, I'm sure. Um, but like, what can you do? Yeah, it's just it's sad. But um, you know, he was one of the people who I've just you know, of course, prior to this and hoping lives you know for a long time. Uh, don't want to give him a premature uh, death sentence uh, eulogy. But it's been unique. It's it's great that you. I don't know if you did it purposely because uh, the last episode you were on was episode thirty nine. Oh yeah, when we uh, interviewed uh, your your boy from CKY, yeah, Darren Miller, and uh, I'm wearing the '96 Bitter Beings shirt. Nice. I, I support like anything that guy does, but also beyond that, to me, it's like the best rock album I've heard in a long time. I really love it. Um, if you guys haven't heard it, campaign. It's out now. Came out late last year. And I'm not just saying it because I'm a fan of everything he does. Like it's just it's a really solid album. You know, I, I kind of miss you, you because you listen to a lot more music than I do. Yeah, maybe, I, mean, I try to be expansive, but you were. It's been a unique thing to, to for me to be at the helm of this by <laughs> myself. I feel a little bit of, you know, Axel trying to kind of you know put this monstrosity together. Just trying to put this this monstrosity <laughs> together. I, and and you kind of. R were the Izzy to my axle, and you kind of helped out. I'm definitely uh, a music nerd. Just, yeah, uh, but just know if you ever come back full time, I'm still Axel, and I own the rights. <laughs> <to> the <name. laughs> um, but uh, no, but it's it's been beautiful. That uh, I've just been very grateful for what you helped me create the foundation for, and you know, almost over three years later, to have people crazy. like Dave Mustaine and Henry Rollins, Tom Green, and Richard Fortas finally got a, a Guns N' Roses guy on. Although I feel like I still got away with something somehow, but because as as you know, this GNL world is crazy. But uh, what I first told you in uh, when we first started this, it's so important to be as expansive as possible in the confines of our little GNR cave. Yeah, and it's allowed me to interview with that six degrees of GNR bacon certain <laughs> people that. Aren't obvious. Yeah. And as I put out there to the listener to try to fill your shoes as my guest co-host, which has been a great – I mean it's been – obviously I, I, I like working with you, but it's been really special to get listeners on as my co-host. Oh, yeah. It's cool. I mean I'm sure maybe we would have done that if it was just both of us you know, every now and then, but, but uh, just to give people certain opportunities to talk to – because we're – I mean you were in radio and I'm in radio. We – yeah, get these opportunities, but for the normal person, the quote unquote normal person with the regular job, they don't have these opportunities. Yeah, so it's been special, and we obviously we we continued being friends. So I always put out there if there's a guest that you want, you're obviously always welcome back. Yeah, you were originally like we should try to get Violent J from ICP on, which would be cool. But then I heard uh, actually Doc Coyle do the interview with Dave Silvera, and I'm like he would be cool. Um, I was going to say one other thing about Dave Mustaine, though. Mm -hmm. I was really disappointed to hear about this uh, for the obvious reasons. But beyond that, um, I I don't know if you heard about, they were going to do a f anniversary set of the album uh, Euthanasia, okay. but in Colorado. 
And I was seriously considering. I was mm-hmm. like, if I have the money to go, I kind of want to go to Colorado because that's my favorite Megadeth album. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, if I remember correctly, it's like 30 years later or something. So they're doing the anniversary of that. It might be 25, might be 30. I'd have to double check. But I would have loved to have seen that. Uh, if that came to New York, I would absolutely be there. So I was like, ah, oh, I guess that's not happening. And I believe you when you said you would go because you are the one who saw <laughs> Doc in, in South Dakota, yep. right? I mean, they've done some shows since then, but you <laughs> not saw, not with the full. No, you lineup. saw something special. Yeah, and I'm finally doing some traveling in uh, in October. Going to see Austin City Limits. Going to see uh, nice. Guns N' Roses that that festival. That's going to be huge. I know the Cure. I'm going to be there. I wanted to make sure I went weekend two. So if anyone's going to weekend two, I hope I bump into you because I want to see Third Eye Blind. <laughs> Third Eye Blind's great. I, I just saw um, Newfound Glory. So okay. Know. Living Next time stuff. you go, tell me, because yeah. I, I still have emo in me. It was a fun time. I have a bunch of friends who like, grew up with that music, so I always tell them when NFG is playing. I've uh, had uh, some listeners joke that this show could be should be uh, nicknamed Appetite for Emotion <laughs> sometimes when I get emo. Uh, so is this the first time you're seeing Guns N' Roses not do a traditional like headlining show doing yeah. a... Cause I think so, yeah. I think that may be interesting because as someone who's seen other bands that I love not play in front of their audience, like I've seen Deftones more than any other band, and I always feel like it's a very different show when they play in front of their audience as opposed to opening for someone or playing a festival because there's going to be a ton of people there who don't know what to expect or who just know the hits. And when Guns N' Roses plays, I don't know, um, Coma or something, they're like, what is this? And I wonder, you know, just being there, the audience reaction compared to them playing something like Coma in MSG. I wonder what the Mumford & Sons crowd is going to think. Exactly. You know, it's going to be my girlfriend's first time seeing GNR. She, you know, she wants to go. Yeah, to go see them. You just picture, like, the drunk person there, though, like, play Sweet Child of Mine. Like, they don't know, they don't know the... Deep cuts. I know, and I'll just get angry at them. What I know, if I know, if I'm going to an actual GNR show, I'm surrounded by friends. But um, and also part of Shotgun News, they announced some more yep. U.S. dates: uh, Charlotte, Jacksonville, Wichita, Lincoln, uh, Lincoln, uh, Nebraska, Oklahoma City, Salt Lake City, and a couple shows in Las Vegas. So, yeah. not in this lifetime is uh, becoming. Not ever going to end. Any chance you guys doing a reunion tour with a full lineup in the future? Not in this lifetime. Well, I guess it's still not in this lifetime because Steven and Izzy. But I actually was surprised that they haven't changed the name of the tour. But that seems to be what GNR does because, as everybody joked, like the Chinese Democracy Tour that lasted forever. I I I don't know. I think it's time for like a new name to this tour. They'd have to have something new. You'd think. You know, whether it be a new member. And maybe we'll get more into it because we're going to call up Dave in just a few minutes. Yeah. And if we, you know, kind of run out of time here, we'll we'll go on the back end of the Dave interview. Uh, I was I, yesterday was the premiere of a Guns N' Roses uh, Breaking the Band documentary on the Reels channel, Reels with a Z. And I, what made me think about it in this specific moment, I was going to talk about it regardless, was it's still the same band. And the, those people that are going to see Mumford and Sons and uh, The Cure at, at Austin City Limits, they, they, even though Richard Fortas has been in the band longer than Izzy, they might not know that's Richard Fortas. They don't know who Frank is. Yeah, I, I'm sure so, I'm going to hear so many people uh, say Guns N' Roses has a girl in the band. I'm going to hear that a lot. 
And and the breaking the band uh, documentary, and I appreciate all of you who followed me on uh, on Twitter as I live tweeted throughout the show. Even Tracy Guns was chiming in on my live tweet, which was fun. Uh, that there was just no mention of Frank, no mention of Richard, no mention of Melissa. Uh, and I say that because it was the the generic. I I was entertained, but it was the generic rock doc we grew up watching on VH1 when they did all those behind the musics. Uh, the only, except the behind the musics had the actual guys. Involved. The actual guys. They used a lot of older in, uh, interviews. Except the only new interviews were with uh, Mark Cantor, and I felt like he was kind of gypped. They used him as more of like a transitional interview. Uh, Alan Niven was the quote unquote star uh, until they got to the, his firing point of the uh, the interview. He said, "I mean, I love Alan. He's very opinionated. He's a friend of the show." Uh, that um, what was his quote about uh, Axel uh, pissed away his prime? I thought that was pretty aggressive. <laughs> to, yeah, to say. When but, you were, and I didn't see it, but when you're telling me that, I I understand where he's coming from. In that, I feel like if there would have been a follow up to uh, Use Your Illusion two years later or something, it would have been a huge sure. Album. But to say he pissed it away, we don't really. I mean, Alan wasn't the manager at the, at the time, so we don't know what he was doing. Yeah. But you they're know. not a group that ended it on a decline. They were still at a high. They were still played on MTV, which at that time was, you know, right. was the thing. So the things that were new, uh, and also a new Gilby Clark, who apparently says he doesn't want to talk Guns N' Roses, but he's in a new GNR documentary. I don't know. Uh, was towards the end, they really glossed over the Chinese era. You know, no respect to anybody in there. And when they talk, spoke about the Not In This Lifetime reunion, again, the no mention of Richard uh, Frank or Melissa, and it's just I don't know. Oh, and they they alluded to though um, an Izzy rumor that uh, Stephen uh, joined them for a couple shows recently, and there's potential for Izzy in the future. So that's included in the documentary. So I don't know with this the whole lot in his lifetime. They're not gonna if it's the same. Maybe that's why they're not changing it until they get a replacement member or uh, a new new music. Yeah, why call in anything else? That's just my wild guess. Yeah, and they're hitting some markets that they – if you look at that lineup, as, as you just mentioned, you know, you don't see New York on there. You don't see L.A. So they're hitting some markets where they're going to get people who probably haven't seen the tour yet, even though they've played Vegas. Other I think, than Vegas. I think uh, Axel just loves Vegas. I think he's a Vegas kind of guy. Vegas baby. Maybe. He looks very Vegas. <laughs> like I know people joked around about the amount of rings he had. It was like more than Liberace. And it's kind of <laughs> true. <laughs> well, and also when he broke his foot, he was like me with the cane. So yeah. he was really pimping Las Vegas for a, a little while. You know what? Regardless of what's the common, of course, we hope that they change up the set list. I think it's great what Duff has been doing solo, playing – you know, Dead Horse and Dustin yeah. Bones, things that we want to hear with GNR. I, I mean, I, I was thinking about what you said to me when you decided not to see the second leg of, of Not In This Lifetime. You're yeah. like, I saw the show already. I may feel that way. I don't know. I, I, obviously, I bought the Austin City Limits, new experience. And it, but it was, uh, to be fair, it was a money thing, too, on some level because— It's always a money thing, though. I get it. It's like, we're not— we're not Stearns. Yeah, we, like I will see. I just mentioned Newfound Glory. I like them. I don't. I don't love them as much as Guns N' Roses. But I'll see Newfound Glory every time they play New York because it's like a thirty dollars show. Yeah, I was just about to if say if it was thirty dollars to see Guns N' Roses, I'm following them across America. A hundred percent. And also, it's just kind of weird as someone who is a fan of the Chinese democracy era of the band that you could pay a little over a hundred dollars and you would be right up front 
feet away from Axel, and now a hundred dollars, you're in the back of the arena. If anything, that is true. Also, I mean that that's that's the same thing. Uh, is the money? I wanted to spend the money the second time. Uh, I I'm glad I got to see Pink come out, so it was it was worth it. I don't regret going anytime. Every every. GNR show, whether it's the Chinese era or the not in this lifetime, for me, I've enjoyed it. It's not, I've never felt gypped. Yeah. But like many people who listen to this podcast and that we're friends with, it, we don't have an endless supply of money. I, I may have to choose. I spent a lot of money. I'm not even counting the airfare and everything to go down to Texas on the tickets themselves. I'm not somebody to go to a festival. Really. I wasn't sure if this was like a gig through iHeart or if you just wanted oh, to go. I, I wish I was that cool. No, I uh, <laughs> no. Uh, right now, I, I paid for both me and my girlfriend, so it was more than definitely more than five hundred bucks that I, I put down right now. It should be a great time. It'll so. be a good experience. I'm not regretting it. But you know, if they come around to New York, I probably will go. I probably but will I won't this time be as too. amped. I'm like, oh, what's what's different? You know, I, I want to go because they're my favorite band, but. It's still a lot of money. I don't yeah, know. It's it's we'll kind of weird too because some of my favorite shows I've ever seen in my life were like twenty bucks, you know. And I've gone to shows that I've been disappointed with that I paid one hundred fifty dollars for. So it's hard to kind of justify. Like I I had just as much fun seeing Newfound Glory the other night as, as seeing. I I mean I had more fun seeing that for example than seeing Kiss on this farewell tour. You know, Newfound Glory puts on a great show. Well, I don't know about you. Uh, I saw Corn once. And it was uh, OzFest uh, 2000. You better say it's good because we have a uh, member coming. They were fantastic. <laughs> Blew me away. Honestly, I became a bigger corn fan after that show. So. And he was still in the band then. It's um, And I haven't gone to see corn again. I, I'm not saying that's related, but maybe for the sake of this interview, we'll say it's related. Hey, I'm going to bring it up during the interview. Corn has not had a song that everyone knows since he left the band. I, I can't think. I think the last – I'll probably mention it to him, but the last song that I really remember – uh, that I think a lot of people know at least would be Twisted Transistor. That was, wasn't that was what I was thinking of. Yeah, it wasn't a huge hit, but it was a hit. And he was in the band then. And I can't. I don't think there's a song that mainstream rock fans know since. Well, then. we'll we'll see what like where it goes. Uh, our interview, uh, David Silva. <laughs> you say it, Silvera. Dave Silvera. I don't yeah. know why I can't pronounce it uh, properly. It looks like Silveria, Dave for Corn, but yeah. it's just a silent eye. Oh, okay, and we'll talk about a new band bias. So. Uh, here he is. So on the show for the first time is David Silvera, drummer for Bias now, but most known as the original drummer for Corn. Up until uh, I'm, I'm actually trying to think, David. It was like Path uh, of Totality. What was the what, no? What was the last album that you did? Um, see you on the other side. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah, because I was I was saying to Brandon before. I'm like Twisted Transistor is like the last I think mega Corn song which you were on, and they haven't had. A song like that since but yeah excited to have you on here maybe we'll talk a little gnr talk about your new band um but this is total honor for me man because uh I, before i was ever even into guns and roses like corn was my shit and i'm just excited to have you on thanks for doing this i appreciate it thank you for having me absolutely where are you uh, calling from right now are you like in the studio because a lot of times when we have guests on they're in the middle of recording and, and i know you're, you're working uh with uh with Rupert Owens right now, so where are you? I mean, it could be a Taco Bell drive-through. Where are you hanging out at the moment? I'm actually at home right now. We um, <laughs> excuse me, we played a show in Palm Springs last weekend, and um, the night before the show, uh, we went to a friend's house. It was on a golf course, um, and uh, I got so drunk, I blacked out, and I woke up and I had a uh, 
a broken bone in my right foot. Oh, geez. Damn, dude. So I was able to play the show the next night, and then I got really swollen, and I finally went on Tuesday and had an x-ray done. So I've been wearing a boot hanging out of my house for this whole entire week, no rehearsal, nothing. Oh, that sucks. Are you just, like, super prone to injuries? Because I did hear you on Doc Coyle's podcast, too, I know, and, you know, you talked about part of the reason of, of your leaving corn and the issues that you had was with pretty much breaking several parts of your back. Are you just a guy who gets injured a lot? Um, actually, no. I, I, when I broke my back, that was an accident. I, I was work, lifting weights. I was squatting. And I, and I, and I went down and I, I my, took my attention off of what I was doing. I looked up at the television and my back completely arched backwards and I fell. Oof. That was actually an accident. What bone in your foot did you, you break? Uh, I think it's called a metacarpal, maybe. All right. What's the? Is that a load-bearing bone? I, I wish I knew. I probably should have uh, researched that. Or I'm not, I'm not going to try to sound more medical than I really am. I'm just thinking, like, uh, in addition to, I broke my my ankle for the first time uh, a couple years ago. And just to make this a shorter story, I also have a, a neurological disability, so it's harder for me to recover. Uh, but wearing the boot. Is just just sucks. My boss right now at iHeartRadio, he's had the boot. He he fell on the on the New York City subway. He slipped. He's been rocking it uh, for for three months, and that stuff that puts you out. Uh, are you I, I, first and foremost? I guess wish you a speedy recovery because it's probably holding you back from you know from doing a lot of things. Yeah, well, I, I've I've not been able to drum ever since. We've taken uh, we took well, we played last weekend, and we haven't rehearsed at all this week. Uh, or I'm sorry, last week we haven't rehearsed at all, and this this starting of this week. Uh, I may try to go tomorrow night and see if I can if I can do it. It's definitely a load bearing bone, that's for sure. And the, uh, the the purpose of the whole boot thing is it's it's actually it's not a full full boot for people to break their legs. It's like a it's like a half boot. It's just to keep me from from bending my foot. You know, just to keep my foot from uh from bending at the where you know where your toes bend. Like you're just going, you're standing up on your toes. That's where the bone hits. So I w- I was going to bring up the gig coming up at the whiskey with orgy. Is that still a go? Friday, August 9th, absolutely. Right awesome. On. Yeah, I mean, that gives you a good amount of time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I should, I, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be ready to play at least. I mean, I, there's a possibility I may have to take this week off, but that's all. It's not bad. See, there's maybe the first, um, if you couldn't tell by the title of the podcast, we look at everything through uh, guns and rose-colored glasses. It's just a unique hook to not be a generic podcast. But when Axel broke his foot, he was able to use the Dave uh, Grohl uh, throne. I'm wondering if could you do something like that with a drum set? Could you? I mean, you you need to your foot. You're not like a front man that just maybe you 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 put on not the the show you want because you can't run around the stage. But I'm wondering if you can make a, a unique drum set that's uh that's special. I don't, I don't know. My my drum throne is an ergonomic drum throne with a, with a backrest on it. Uh, but but the thing about playing drums is I, I have three pedals to my left and two pedals to my right. So you literally, you have to kind of sit up straight and you, you actually balance your weight kind of back on your butt to leave your, your kind of, your legs kind of, uh, almost in limbo where they can go wherever they need to go. So it's more about back strength and balancing, you know what I mean? On your, I don't want to call your butt bones, whatever the hell they are on, on your, your pelvis, whatever. So you kind of balance on that and you, you, you use your legs kind of loosely to go back and forth between the pedals. So hmm. most of the weight's actually carried on your lower back and your, and your, uh, in your pelvis, so it's it's not really. I don't think it'll be too hard on my foot. I think it'll be okay. 
I, I mean, there are bands who have permanently done it. You just look at the, you know, you're going to be okay, but I just think of, like, the drummer from Def Leppard. Sure. He's gone with one arm because of being able to just use the technology, and now with all the oh, all, yeah. all the live tracks that are done, there are a million bands now that aren't even really playing live. And then the craziest one I could think of, I don't know if you're up on this, Dave, but um, that band, The Ghost Inside, who had that bus accident, the um, the drummer for The Ghost Inside, who also wrote a lot of their stuff, um, his leg got completely amputated from that bus accident, and there and several of the guys are in wheelchairs and shit now, and they're apparently going to be playing a gig in California, um, which will be cool. But that's just a heartbreaking story because I've heard the members of that band say, like, you know, they worked for years to get to that point, and they finally made it. And they're like, I, I one of the members wrote, like, I can't go to shows now and enjoy myself because I just feel like I want to be up on that fucking stage. And we did it. And somehow we got it snatched away from us. Like, that's just got to be another level of, I, I couldn't imagine. I have not heard of that story, but that is definitely heartbreaking for sure. Well, thankfully, just like in sports, you're just on the 10-day ten day, ten day DL or something like that. Yeah. Is it, have, have you had a lot of uh, injuries or sports-related injuries throughout your, your career? Because you've been doing this for, for how many years now, a professional musician? Um, since 1993. I was bar mitzvahed in 1996, <laughs> if that means anything. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I, if you're going to bring up bar mitzvahed, I was oh, bar God. mitzvahed in 1998. And when people walked in, I had a big corn follow the leader sign. And everybody's table oh, was yeah. a different band. And I had a Limp biscuit table. I had really? a corn table, Stone Temple Pilots. I've just been into this stuff How forever. How did I not know this about you? Wow. D- it's still in my parents' basement. You have the girl, you know, on the ledge and all that. Like, I got this custom sign done that says Ian's Bar Mitzvah with the R's reversed for my love of corn. So you know how much of a corn nerd that I am now. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's just hilarious that uh, Guns N' Roses came out so many more years before we did. <laughs> well, you know you know what it is for me, actually, I could tell you, is, is I feel like your band and other bands propelled me to some of the older stuff. Um, yeah. Like... I I remember old interviews with John Davis talking about how much he loved Motley Crue, and it drove me to, like, check out that back catalog and discover those types of bands from the Sunset Strip, which is kind of when you guys were coming up, was the very end of that. Yeah, we absolutely, because uh, towards the end of Motley Crue, you've noticed, like, uh, a bunch of them had half their head shaved. Yep. They're all wearing monkey monkey boots and... Yeah. And... Uh, chopped up jean shorts like they they completely started dressing grunge from uh from glam and when we were first starting in corn that was when all, all the clubs on sunset boulevard were still happening right so we're out there passing out flyers for shows that we're playing and there'll be one guy walking by in spandex with huge uh sprayed up hair and then and the next guy walking with half of his head shaved in monkey boots it, it was quite a quite a culture shock that is uh, amazing so what then what did influence you uh then because you can see how others are influenced by you but what were you who were you specifically uh influenced by was it by the sunset strip and you wanted to do something new with it uh what was the path that you wanted to be on well are you are referring to me personally as a drummer or yeah. as a drummer for the band uh, you personally as a drummer me personally as a drummer the first big band that i got into was the first van halen record that's what really made me want to play drums. And actually, the reason I even play Pisces Symbols today, which I've played my entire career, is because of Alex Van Halen. I mean, Alex is amazing. Even still today, the, when I saw them on the last tour, his solos are incredible. When I, I don't remember how old I was. I was this was this was years before Corn. I don't remember when Appetite for Destruction came out. 
Um, what was that? 80? 87? 87? I thought it was 86. <laughs> we're going to have to check. I think it might be we're, semantics. We're, sound like we're, we're not experts on our own show. But yeah. But, but around that time, yeah. So when that record came out, I, I had been playing drum set for quite a few years already. And I, I remember going over to my neighbor across the street, a kid who was a few years older than me, and he showed it to me. And at that time, my sister actually managed a record store when those things still existed. And um, I, I, I called her at work and asked her to buy it for me, so she did. And I listened to it. And after probably, it was a while, maybe six or eight months after you know, listening to it and playing drums to it a lot, I started noticing, which was obvious the whole entire the whole entire time, was that the two guitar players, you know, who was that Slash and Izzy at the time? Yeah. You know, they, they play a pan, hard right, hard left. And what I noticed specifically about their playing is that even when they're even when the riff they're playing the same riff, they completely pick everything differently. So if you if you're listening in headphones and you take one headphone out and you hear it on one side and then you listen to the same thing with the other headphone in, it's like a completely different performance because they purposefully, I mean, unless they just fucking suck really bad and they had no idea they were doing it. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's obviously on purpose, but they purposefully, they, they literally played the same parts with completely different picking styles. You guys notice that, right? I, I can't say I've completely noticed it. I have to listen back now. I mean, it was a very unique style at the time, but I would have to listen back and, and hear exactly what you're saying. But I could kind of imagine yeah, it when I'm thinking of, like, the opening riff of Sweet Child of Mine and that type of stuff. Yeah, listen to any, any of the songs, Appetite for Destruction, one ear and then take it out, put it in the other and listen to the same part. They completely they play the bass, the same bass part of the riff the same, but they completely pick everything differently. And um, after noticing that for a while, that idea kind of stuck with me and then, and then before Corn was a band, we had a, we, we played as a four piece with a different singer. But then once Corn became a band, and that was the time when Steve I came out with the uh, eight string guitar or seven string guitar, sorry, seven string guitar. And then our guys, you know, they obviously went and bought the Steve I models, and we, we brought in the whole D tune, low tune guitars, all the shit. But um, one thing that had always stuck with me since the days of Appetite with Destruction was for the two guitar players to play distinctively different parts. And I remember having a conversation with the guys exactly about that, being influenced by the Guns N' Roses record, saying, hey, even if you guys are playing the same part, play it differently. And that led into them actually making up completely different parts over each other, which, I mean, as you know, became a signature corn sound, while there'll, there'll be one guy doing one thing and another guy doing a completely other thing. But, I mean, the, the whole entire idea came up from that was us talking about the way the Guns N' Roses played the same part, but oh, wow. completely different on purpose. Oh wow, that's a that's a major influence on on the band. See, I'm glad you yeah, added both of those. Your specific influence, and then the influence on the on on the band itself. Those are two uh, yeah, yeah, we, special answers. Yeah, which, which we had we completely talked about the whole thing, and that led into them making up two completely distinct parts. So, I mean, if you listen to a, most of the Corn records, you can hear that there's almost always two guitar parts going on at the same time. I'm gonna have to pay more attention. Is that something that? Do you go when you listen to maybe another band from influence or just enjoyment? Do you first do you listen as a drummer? Do you listen and you and you hear that first because now we're talking about guitars now. So or do you go into it as a musician and it's just all so these you, moving so parts? I, I, I when I when I first start listening to music, I I listen as a musician. I like to hear everything as a whole. Cool. Like for instance, my, my in ear mix and when we play. It's complete. I mean, you would think it'd be completely all drums. I have just as much vocals, bass, and guitar 
in my ears as I do drums because I want to hear everybody equally. Mm. Like when everybody when when anybody comes down to the studio, I always tell them plug into my inner mix. I, I have the the most even mix of everybody. They're, you know, everybody else, they boost their own their own instrument or whatever. But um, when I listen to music, I listen to it as a whole. I mean, I don't even necessarily listen to the exact lyrics. I listen to the melodies and how it goes with everything. And then I think once I've listened to something for quite a bit of time, then I start actually kind of paying attention to lyrics and, you know, guitar picking and actual drum beats and it eventually drum fills. It's like, it's like I kind of uh, open my mind up for the whole thing. And then at some point I start kind of trying to break down everything. Right on. That's awesome, man. I, and I, don't I, like even that, do it, I don't even do it consciously. It just happens like that. No, I like that you're explaining it this way, and it, it's also going to make me, as Brandon said, it's going to make me go back and listen to both of those albums, Appetite for Destruction, which, by the way, you were right, 87, and yeah, the first Korn album. Make me doubt myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to listen back to those. You know what I was wondering since we mentioned the Sunset Strip? I mean, what was it like at that time? Because it was the decline of what people will call the glam rock, hair metal, whatever Western era. civilization. Yeah, and and. <laughs> Then the introduction to the grunge stuff, as you were saying, Pearl Jam, Nirvana. But in, you know, pretty shortly after that, uh, within a year or so is when you guys came out. And really, there were no big metal bands on the scene at that time that reached the mainstream success of you guys. I could really think of you and Pantera, uh, you know, held that flag up for a few years before (laughs) metal really came back into the mainstream. Well, when we first came out, um, that was when it was still all about if you wanted to book a show in Hollywood, you had to sell tickets. So for about maybe 15 months, 14 months or so, every show we booked, we had to sell amount, amount, a certain amount of tickets to be able to play. It basically paid to play, right? Um, but I, I think, I mean, I guess you could call it luck or just persistence because we played as much as we could. It wasn't that long until we were selling out shows all the way from San Diego all the way up to when the Country Club was still open in Reseda. Um, so I think we probably sold tickets for maybe 13 or 14 months, and then by that time we were selling out shows everywhere, and then we actually turned it around where we, we, we got the clubs to start paying us. And then um, then it was 93. I don't even remember the club. It was definitely Hollywood, full-on Hollywood show. Um, we, we had a manager at that time who was also an A&R rep for A&M Records when it was still open. But we played a show, and I remember him coming up saying, there's like four record labels here tonight. And um, I think that night, I think three of them gave us offers. Wow. After, but that was after, you know, at that, that point we were, we were, we had already been a band for, I think we maybe – Maybe late '92 is when we started, and '94 is when our first record came out. But uh, we spent a good year doing the whole pay-to-play thing for sure. So, how do you feel now in this point of your career when you think back at at that time? Does it amaze you that you're, you're still doing what you love, or do you look back and be like, "Wow, you know, I've had to fight for everything that I've loved." Have you enjoyed the journey, or is it has has it you know been challenging at times? Well. Yes, yes, and yes. It's been challenging as fuck because, um, you know, just the pressure of trying to write. Because if you think about it, we spent a, probably a good year and a half to write what was the first corn record in, in our rehearsal studio as we we're playing gigs. You know, we'd have five songs, we'll play a quick show, six songs, seven songs, until we had our first record plus more songs. And, that, and we spent like a year and a half doing that. And so then after that, we had a record deal. 
And then we toured for about a year and three quarters, maybe on the first record before anybody even understood what it was about. And then they said, okay, it's time to go make your second record. So then all of a sudden they give us this artificial timeline. So then it's the pressure's on, okay, we have to write these songs now. Um, and that never really goes away because, you know, our first record, we wrote it organically over, you know, a year and a half or so of just rehearsing four or five nights a week. And then the pressure comes saying, okay, we want to get this new record written and recorded in eight months. So then, then that kind of pressure comes on. And then, of course, every record, your pressure to try to out, outdo your last record and so on and so on. Um, so in that sense, it, it is a lot of pressure. But, I mean, at the end of the day, thanks to all of the people around the world who listen to our music and purchase our music either in CD form or online or wherever they purchase it, I mean, I, I think I can speak for all the members in Corn. It basically gave us all the opportunity to live out our childhood dream. So, I mean, you can, you can look, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. It was a hell of a lot of work, a hell of a lot of hard work, painstaking, grueling hours. I mean, being on tour and in the studio and every day. But at the end of the day, because of the fans, they allowed us to live our childhood dreams. So there's, I mean, there's really nothing to complain about other than, of course, it, it, when you're in the moment at, at that time and wh whatever you're experiencing in the day, I mean, everybody's going to gripe and have, you know, harder days and other, other, because that's just human nature. But I mean, when you really break it all down and get back to the essentials, it's basically because of the fans, we were able to live out our childhood dreams for real. And just that alone is fucking amazing to me. Yeah. And when you're talking about having to outdo that first album, you guys kind of did that with the first three albums, especially because that second album had Adidas and other songs that became big. And then Follow the Leader was just a massive, massive success to the point where you guys were in the mainstream, like... On TRL. Yeah, I mean, bigger than any other rock band at the time. When when you were recording Follow the Leader, because I have heard about, like, how chaotic the sessions were and the amount of money spent on alcohol, but, I mean, did you feel like you had magic there? Absolutely. When we did Follow the Leader, I think uh, that we were in a really good headspace. Everybody was really fired up. Um, that was the first record that they gave us a ridiculously huge budget of shitload of money to make it and um we, we everyone was living in this house in hollywood by the by the studio and uh as you said you've heard the rumors about all the alcohol that and more is true completely more <laughs> but uh it was uh it was definitely the, the most fun we've ever had making a record but i think everyone's headspace was just really good that record flowed out of us it was ridiculous um but honestly that was the last record that we wrote in a rehearsal studio as a band um, because we were still in the rehearsal studio when we wrote Follow the Leader and working it out in a rehearsal studio with John coming in and singing and everything, right? And then after Follow the Leader, the producer, Brendan O'Brien, came in, and um, I figured we'd do, because up until then, we, we did Life is Peachy Corn and, and Follow the Leader. We wrote it in our rehearsal studio, played the songs, worked out all the parts, all the changes. We got, got the vocals down in the studio, everything right together. And then we went into the recording studio and retract them all. So then Brendan O'Brien comes in to do issues, and he has this idea. He has a studio in Atlanta. So he gets us all to move out to Atlanta, and I'm thinking, okay, are we going to go out right here in Atlanta? And then he goes in and immediately goes into the, the, in the recording studio with us. And I'm going, what's going on? And he wants to record all the music with no vocals, just record music. And I'm thinking, 
wait a second, we, the way we wrote the first three records, we wrote with vocals and we wrote all the songs and then we went in and started tracking them. And he wanted to go in and change the whole th- deal. He wanted to write and track at the same time with no vocals ever even been written over the songs. And I'm thinking, because the way I played, I used to follow accents on the vocals all the time. So that, that kind of threw me for a loop. And uh, I, I think I was pretty much the only one that was vocally against writing the record like that. Hmm. But I mean, the record turned out to be a good record, thankfully. But uh, I, I think that, that definitely changed the tra- trajectory of, uh, of a writing process from then on out. Yeah, I, I read um, Rex Brown from Pantera's book, and they had a similar issue. Those I wasn't aware until I read his book. Those last two Pantera albums, Phil was laying down the vocals in Louisiana, and the other guys were laying down the music in Texas, and they just felt it was dysfunctional. Yeah, I um, when Brendan said we all needed to move to Atlanta, I thought he meant for all of us to go out there and write a record together. And I was thinking, okay, we do have a ridiculously big budget for this. This is still kind of a waste of money, though. So, but we went out there, and then he immediately told us to come set up, or directed our guys to go set up our gear in his recording studio. So I'm kind of thinking, so this is different. What are we going to do? And then we go in, and he starts going, "Okay, you guys, you guys got riffs." And I'm thinking, "What's going on here?" And and we end up starting writing songs with no John on vocals at all. And then and then we record a song, and then he's working on vocals by himself at the uh, at the apartments we rented. And I'm thinking, this does not feel right. I mean, it ended up being a really good record. I mean, I've got no problems with the record. But I think the method of writing as a unit in the rehearsal studio, taking that away, I think um, I think it did have a, a, an impact on, on the quality of the songs. Because Follow the Leader was the last record that we wrote as a unit, as a full band, and then went into the recording studio once every lyric and every part was worked out on the music and ready to go. So that was the last record we did that with. Of course, I can't help but think because this is what the podcast, uh, the foundation is. You know all the the rumors of how Guns N' Roses records. You know Axel's by himself, or uh, what, like him and Slash were doing things over the phone to each other before they would even uh, record. So when we booked this interview, Ian and I, I, I couldn't help but think of there's a Stephen Adler analogy with you. And some of it has been proven so far in this interview because of how friendly you are and how open and how appreciative of the fans of that you are. And Steven Adler is the same way. So I may like current versions of GNR. I may like current version of Korn, but it's not the one I grew up with. It's different. So to see someone like you who still has a passion for the music that you created with them, and again, same thing with Steven – I don't know if I'm stretching for my six degrees of GNR bacon here, but I still I see that analogy between you and Stephen. Um, I, I, I honestly I, I don't I've never really heard or read anything of, about what happened between Stephen and the rest of GNR. Um, for my band personally, it became a breakdown of communication, which I'm sure if if, uh, if you read the uh, the Doc Hoyle podcast or heard about it, that, that's what I talked about on there was the, about the breakdown of communication between the band members which, in my opinion, ultimately led to us breaking up, including my back injury that went untreated and and no one even knew about it. But I think it was more just a breakdown of communication between the band members, ultimately, which led to uh, the the band, you know, to me leaving the band. Then what about, uh, because obviously it's been famously noticed, not just your departure, but Head's departure and now reunion with the band, have you seen the uh, the documentary that he he did? Because they, they seem to have a, a breakdown of communication at some point, and they managed to heal it. Uh, so, I mean, is it wrong for fans to 
hope, even on just a friendship level, that communication could be mended? Um, yeah, I, I would have no problem with it in any way whatsoever. I, um, no, I, I have no problem with anybody, anybody whatsoever. I, I just think uh, at some point our communications broke, broke down so bad that our managers were calling other band members saying, okay, we talked to John about this or that, and he wants to do this or that. And I'm thinking, why isn't John talking to us? Why is it happening like this? And it just got worse and worse to the point where we weren't even talking at, at all. Nobody was even talking. It, it was so weird. I, I don't even know why the hell it ever got like that. I mean, it, the fact it was, uh, I mean, it was so so many years ago, I couldn't even imagine at my age ever having a relationship that let it break down that bad and not, not just go up and say, hey, we got to work this shit out. This is ridiculous. See, that's why I, I'm, I'm wondering now that time has, has passed. So it's nice to see Stephen Adler has to, to have done some shows with GNR. And to see it within just the Corn family that they did reunite with Head and they made a whole documentary about it where they were open and honest about hating each other at times, being confused, you know, obviously the religion being a part of it, religion being a toxic conversation. So um, I'm just wondering why not with, with you as well? If, if Head, you know, uh, left uh, abruptly, uh, why couldn't they now that we're all getting older that you can be, you know what, this was kiddie stuff. We don't. We're, we're past this now, even just to, you know, men on, on a friendship level. Uh, I mean, yeah, you would think so. I mean, I, I really don't know why. I guess you have to ask those guys. Right. Yeah, and, and if Fair you enough. watch that old stuff, it's almost like David's been kind of unfortunately completely written out. It's like Michael Anthony with Van Halen talking about Van Halen. Like, it's really cool to see, uh, you know, Alex and Wolfgang and, you know, the family and the band now. But Michael Anthony was a big part of that history. And you go to, like, their website now and you... It's like he was never even there, and it's it's weird to see because just like you with Corn, I mean, these guys are fundamental parts of of what made that band who they are. Absolutely, yeah, I, I think that's weird too. I I do want to get into the bias stuff and what you're currently doing yeah. because I truly mean this. I, it's awesome. I was just in the gym today listening to it, and uh, especially for a guy like you, you know, a lot of guys separate from bands and start a new project, and sometimes if they're the primary songwriter of that band, it could work, and if they're not, it doesn't work, but this band definitely is doing something awesome that I could see being really big. Um, Before we do, though, and, and get into, like, the creation and how you guys got together, I wanted to ask you something that I'm not sure if you've ever been asked about before. Oh. <laughs> um, people listening to this interview may remember when David did the Calvin Klein ads and a very younger Slipknot on their first mainstream – or their first uh, album on, on a major label um, were touring – and made reference to you doing that Calvin Klein and weren't exactly friendly about it. If you look in this month's team people, you will see the grossest fucking display of rock star bullshit you have ever seen in your fucking life. Splayed out, not just on one fucking page, oh no, two fucking pages of this shit. Is a full-on fucking Calvin Klein jeans article with none other than Dave fucking Silveria from Corn on it. Now, is it just me or is he a fucking drummer or a fucking stupid model with his fucking shit all laid out like this? Are you guys tired of this fucking rock star bullshit? I never really heard you respond to that, calling you doing that rock star shit and uh, basically like taking jabs at you for doing something that you thought was cool at the time. All I got to say is little short guys get jealous. 
<laughs> and and look at you now, man. I mean, you were like in great shape then, but if you look at the current pitchers at Dave, he's gotten you've gotten pretty huge, man. Despite a back injury, you were still and I'm talking about huge as in jacked. Like you were in pretty awesome shape currently for a guy your age and working through some pretty serious injuries. Yeah, it's called a lot of time in the gym and a lot of protein. Shit nice, of protein. man. I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm a short, skinny guy. I'm jealous. I wish I had your WWE physique. I mean, good good for you, my man. I think that's fantastic. What, what did you think when you heard that, though, like at the time? Because I think he said it multiple times where he was like, this is rock star shit. And, um, you, you know, he was like, is this guy a drummer or a fucking model? I mean, Dave were, were you can't help off? but be pretty. He's pretty. He can't help it. <laughs> Uh, you, you know what? I really didn't care what he had to say. I, I actually saw him at a at a at a festival, and I and I and I stood next to him, and I looked down at him, and I just looked looked him straight in the eye. He didn't say a damn word to me, and I just said, "Uh huh," and I walked away. <laughs> nice, <laughs> that's great. Keyboard warriors. All right, so Dave taking the high road. I appreciate that's that's, <laughs> that's fantastic. So yeah, let's let's talk about bias. How that uh, facilitated? How that that came to be? Well, first it was myself. Our bassist Chris Durami and our guitarist Joe Stayback. We were playing with uh, a couple other people, and we we made some music for our eight months, ten months or so, and it wasn't working out. So we got rid of a couple guys, and then we um, started auditioning for singers. We did a singer search, and we put it out on the internet, and we got auditions from uh, people that wrote music, basically from around the world. It's pretty astounding, actually. And we listened to them all and narrowed it down to a few. And one guy actually came over from Germany to try out, which I couldn't fucking believe. But uh, he, he wasn't bad. And then a couple other people we thought were pretty good. And then we got um, an audition tape from our current singer, Richard Wen. And we thought, yeah, this, this guy's really good. And we thought, oh. we, 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 we kind of listened to him. We thought, let's, let's send this guy another song and see what he does on this song. So we sent him another song, and he would send back versions where he he was editing our our songs, and reworking the the the, the structure of our song. So he would give it back with a new structure and new vocals. And at first we were kind of going, I don't know about this structure thing, but then we were going, but wait a second, these vocals are pretty fucking good. They're pretty original, right? So we ended up asking him down, and I'm not sure if it was before or after we asked Richard down. But one of our good friends, Mike Martin, who at the time was guitar teching for Joe Tayback, and I didn't even know at that time that he already knew all of our songs. I'm thinking, we've been talking about another guitar player. Why did you fucking tell me you knew all the songs already? And he's like, I don't know. I just didn't tell you. So so here's this guy who's been sitting in our studio night after night just watching, and I thought he was just a friend. And I didn't know that he was really close with Joe Tayback, our guitar player, and he already knew all of our songs. So I'm thinking, <laughs> well, shit, we got our solution right here. Come on, Mike. So... Mike starts playing with us, and then we have Richard down, and um, I think we rehearsed for maybe five hours. It was a long day, like five or six hours in the rehearsal studio, and I think we got through maybe one or two songs that he had that we because we sent him songs in advance. So we were working on a couple songs that day, and I remember by the end of the day, uh, myself, Chris, Mike, and Joe were kind of looking at each other, you know, kind of giving each other this look, like, "Yeah, I think this, I think this is going to be really good." And then Richard went home, and then I think we called him a few days later because um, we talked about it as a band, and we, we thought, this guy really has good potential. He, he's not your typical singer. He's writing things over our music that we would not expect from anybody, but we really liked it, and we thought, okay, this guy sounds like, a, in our opinion, kind of like a, 
a newer version of kind of a Mike Patton kind of sound. Oh, wow. And um, so so we called him and said, hey, we'll c- come back for a second rehearsal. And he came back. And I think, I'm not, I'm not sure about this, but I think if I remember correctly, I think by the end of the second day, we, we, we said, we said, so do you want to, you want to be in this band with us or what? Hmm. And I mean, the chemistry has been unbelievable with these guys. We've, we, I mean, everybody, it, it's like, uh, I guess you could, it's kind of funny to say, but being in a band with mature grownups has got as positive effects for sure. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I think the songs are unbelievable. And I felt like there's there's definitely some corn there, but I also felt felt uh, some of a seven dust vibe, and I think yeah. I saw some comments too in the YouTube videos of people saying uh, a little reminiscent of seven dust, who band I loved, who was probably influenced by corn. And those songs we released, those were like the very first songs we ever have ever written with Richard, and the, and some of the first songs we wrote even as a band. We we have uh, I think we have twelve songs finished by now. Oh wow! Okay. And, and I would say at least. Eight of those twelve blow away the songs that we already have released with Richard as on, on them already. Nice. So we haven't tracked awesome. them yet. Yeah, we, we've been we, we record when we rehearse, but we haven't went into a studio and tracked them yet. We're still writing some more. But yeah, th- those uh, the new songs we have are going to absolutely blow away pity and change your mind for sure. That's cool. So, so what is the plan? Because I've been following the, the um, social media, which by the way is at Bias Band OC. Uh, and you guys have been asking what the fans want to hear, but what is the plan? Is it going to be a full album, an EP, uh, a, a tour? Like, what, what are what's in the works? Well, you know, we're trying to actually make up our mind. Do we want to go full press with? Because we have another single that, that's uh, already recorded and ready to go. So we're trying to decide if we should stay in our rehearsal studio and and, and write a few more songs. And if we should go ahead and try to release another radio single, or if we should go into the recording studio and track as many songs as we can get done, or, or maybe track all of them, I don't know, depending on what our budget is and how much time we have. So we're, we're kind of in between stages where we're just we're just trying to figure out what we want to do next. If we want to go to radio with this next single, or if we want to go back in the recording studio. We'll know, we'll know very soon, though. We're just kind of, uh, we're just, we've been having conversations back and forth about it for like the past week. So it would be premature to... To, to kind of timetable when we can expect, whether it be a show or just another song uh, put out there? Is it is it tough to, you know, this year, next year? or I mean, it's all good. It's going to happen at some point, but is it hard to pin it, you know, to project? No, I, I think you'll definitely hear another track this year. Absolutely. Oh, great. Cool. That's fantastic. Yeah, we, we have, as I said, we have another song that's been completely recorded, mixed, and ready to go right now. We're just trying to, to decide if we want to focus our efforts on getting that song out on radio or if we want to continue in the rehearsal studio, right, and then go into the recording studio. Um, but we, I mean, we, we, may, we may end up doing both. We're not sure yet. We're still, everyone's been talking. As I said, we haven't rehearsed since we went out and played our show in Palm Desert, and I fucking broke a bone <laughs> in my foot. <laughs> you hurt yourself. And, and it's also such a different trajectory now to when you were in corn in terms of like when you're saying get a song on radio. I mean, there's only a handful of stations even playing that type of music now and it's like there is no mtv anymore everything is podcasts there's, like this one there's no total request live for him yeah, to go on. It, it's just a very different landscape than 20 years ago yes it's absolutely it's um that, that I, I i think that's that's probably the part that i miss the most is um the days when <clears throat> college radio stations were really big and mm-hmm. like a corn our first record deal was with immortal which was a subsidiary of Epic Records, and back then they used to, they had 
thousands of people on staff, like college reps, that would basically all they did was represent music on college radio stations, and that, that's besides the commercial market. That's just college markets, and they were all over the country, big time. And none of that shit even appears anymore. Now it's all digital stuff, and um, I think pretty much all the street teams are all gone. And um, you know, every, everything's more focused to social media and uh, all the digital world. But I mean, I guess you just got to adapt to the times, right? I know it. It is what it is, and that's why uh, there's such an emphasis on on touring now because it's it. Yes. Yeah. So, um, well, obviously, congratulations on the new band. You can hear the excitement you. in your in your voice, and uh, you know, speedy recovery, so we can get out there and we can see you uh, live. Because I was telling Ian Absolutely. off the air, the only time I saw Corn was with you back in '02 at Ozfest, and no yeah. joke, it made me a bigger fan. I went in being, you know, average. I liked them, uh, but. I, I guess I never went deep into the catalog, and then after I saw you live, I'm like, "Holy shit, this is one of my new favorite bands!" And it's just, so I, I would love just to see you live again and behind the kit and around mature adults. <laughs> I guess. Well, August ninth, whiskey orgy. If we were in oh. California, I like the way you phrased that. Yeah. Though, if you don't know if it's, it's a band. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, I, I'd like to ask you about that because Orgy, as you obviously know, it's a completely different lineup now. But the songs are kick ass. I've seen Orgy with this new lineup plenty of times. Uh, it's still Jay Gordon. All the other guys are new. Uh, but you guys helped to bring Orgy to the forefront with Family Values in 1998. Uh, have you have you been in contact with those guys and Jay in particular? Um, you know what? I stayed in contact with Ryan Shuck, the guitar player, for quite a few years after that. Um, and I've actually lost contact with all the other band members. Um, a, a couple months ago, our, our representative from Schechter Guitars, who sponsors Joe and Mike and Chris, um, had, I, th- I think he spoke to Jay or something, and, and he, he sent me a text one day with Jay's phone number. But I, to tell you the truth, I just actually forgot about it, and I haven't texted or called him back what I should. Well, I was going to say one other thing. Um, I want to make sure I mention it before we wrap, but much like Brandon, I did get to see Corn with you at MSG. I saw Corn years later at Roseland without you, and it, it just is a difference between seeing you and seeing the current lineup. And Ray, the current drummer, is an amazing drummer, but you were just so integral to that band and it's almost like when i've heard steven adler talk about the difference between seeing you know him with the band and seeing the lineups years later uh it's just it's a different sound you guys are both great technical drummers but you had a very unique style that's definitely different from his and kind of defined the corn sound i'm not gonna argue with you there <laughs> I, 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 I have no ill will towards ray or anybody else in the band but yeah i'm not gonna argue with you on that point but we're we're focused on on bias now, and you're going to hear it in Dave's voice how excited he is. I'm I'm excited for it. Just uh, congratulations, and if you're ever in in New York, I would love to have you in studio. Absolutely. Well, I don't know when, but at some point, we will definitely be there with bias to play a show. Awesome, and I will be there. Oh, I'll, I'll absolutely be there. So uh, at Bias Band OC, and I genuinely mean this because we have bands, or you know, when I've hosted the show, come on all the time. Sometimes they're doing stuff that I'm like, you know, I love their old stuff, but it's not remarkable or anything. These two sa- songs in particular, Pity in particular, I really love, and I'm excited to hear the uh, the rest of the stuff. Absolutely, I appreciate you guys having me. You got it. You have a great day. You too. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
I can't believe you never told me about your your corn bar mitzvah party. Yeah. I How have you never? That's hilarious. I don't know. Just never. I've I've been this way pretty much my whole life, like a nerd for music. Um, so that was what I had. And then I remember my parents had the tables, and the parents' tables were like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> but yeah, mine were Sublime, Corn, Limp Bizkit. Uh, I think the Offspring, and those were the tables. It was you a very a, extravagant bar mitzvah. You had a cool theme. Mine was so lame, and I regret sports it. Sports related? It was sports related. I mean, that's cool. That's that's very yeah. Yeah, but I, it was. I'll explain because it, it, the, the the T-shirt looks stupid. I mean, for those who have never been to a bar bar mitzvah before, there's usually like a T-shirt that, or or some sort of clothing that you you leave. So, I mean, if you've heard me talk about hockey, and I'm and you probably know that I'm an Islanders fan, but at the, at that time, for whatever reason, I was a huge uh, Colorado Avalanche fan. They they had just moved from Quebec. I loved the jersey. I became a big into Patrick Waugh, Peter Forsberg, whatever. So were I, they your team, or they were like my second favorite? Okay, team, you know, but I was real with along with the Islanders, who were, I mean, I shouldn't say they're terrible. They they've been better the last couple of years, but they yeah. were a joke. So I mean, the Avalanche won in their first year. So I was just I was a kid, thirteen. So uh, I went with a friend to make a T-shirt of just like a goalie, and my we, I was also really being into Seinfeld at the time. So I was convinced to hybrid those two ideas. So I had Kramer's face on Patrick Waugh's goalie body. That's kind of cool. And though. I called it Giddy Up Hockey because, you know, Kramer <laughs> was a g- Giddy Up. I don't know. It's not as cool as having an old rock theme song, a theme uh, for my bar mitzvah. Yeah, I, that's it's funny, though. Was that, um, this is a little inside for people who don't know, but was that like the pre Spano years? The pre what? Spano, the uh, the GM who wasn't really oh, the Oh, GM. the uh, the owner. Uh, probably. It was around like the fish sticks era. Okay. Yeah, because – and by the way, if, if for those who don't know what I'm talking about, you got to watch the 30 for 30 on – it's Mike Spano, right? I know it's Spano, S-P-A. Yeah, because I have a friend named Spano. It's, and called, I, Bi- I, it's called Big Shot, 30 for 30 Big Shot. The guy, uh, Kevin Conley from uh, Entourage, directed it. Yeah, and it's just crazy to see that this Some guy – Some con man just made his way to own the, the Islanders. Yeah. And, and he had no money. Yeah, it, it's Whatever. it's a crazy story, but um, I mean, if it makes you feel better, there I will never watch my tape of my actual bar mitzvah. It's just I I I at least recall one embarrassing moment is uh, you know we don't have video on this podcast, but I'm doing like the awkward middle school dance with this girl I had a crush on, <laughs> so we're like so far apart that it's like as far as I can stretch my arms, and I she's da- over there, and you're rocking back and forth, and it's like I I never want to watch that in my entire life. I was and too I don't nervous ever to dance with a girl, so I danced with my youngest brother at the time, who was like an infant. <laughs> All right, that might be. Oh yeah, but that's acceptable. I know, but but. It, I, I mean, you didn't invite like the girl that you had the biggest crush on. I think that's what no. Everybody... She came, but I was I couldn't it's talk. It's your bar mitzvah. She's I, not going to say no to you. I couldn't talk to the girl. You have to be a huge bitch to say no to the I, bar mitzvah. I, I boy. know. I was such a nerd, but just to keep in the in the theme of talking about the, our younger selves. Yes. Maybe a few years after that, I I really remember in in high school, my my friend Jeffrey at the time being he was just the biggest corn fan. And he would just always go off about Dave. He's like, Dave from Corn, he's the best man. There wouldn't be anything without Dave. And he's like, life is peachy. And just, he was a total, like, Beavis and Butthead kind of character. And it's just really special and amazing that we get to, that I get to speak with him. And of course, along with you. Oh, yeah. All these years later. It's so, a dream interview for me. And that's why this, this podcast keeps going, even though, uh, you know, after you left and when I made a, a decision, I'm like, 
yeah, I'm going to do this by myself. I've never done anything like this, especially solo. No, it's going great. Let I me mean, do the, it. And the the caliber can... of guests you've had on have been incredible. I'm not someone who's like, why is he doing this without me? We oh, no. Far in advance. And I'm, I'm really glad to see. I I personally well, didn't another... think you'd be getting the caliber of guests on me that neither. you did. Because it's just you don't think that you're going to get a Dave Mustaine. Those guys are hard to get. I've tried to book Dave Mustaine, and it hasn't worked out. So I've tried the, to book him again. I don't think it's happening. Yeah, I mean, the, this was are, pre, you know, I mean, he's yeah. sick now. But, but these are big, about. big names that you've had on. And I'm, I'm proud to have been a part of it. And it's cool to come back. Um, probably way too long later, but I've just been busy with other things. But like a year and a half later, I, I realized to come back on, and I'd come back on anytime, man. To if if we have like You're an interesting welcome. interview, so yeah. I mean, I to me, there's certain things that for doing this the 13 years that I've had that that I get tired at times. But like interviewing Radio. rock stars that I love, that doesn't get. I don't get tired of that. Well, I'll, I'd love to continue to do that, you know, I, in some capacity. You know, I'm lucky that, you know, again, I work here at iHeart, so I'm able to do this to kind of coincide with my, you know, actual radio career. But you know, as I started the, the podcast off with, uh, you know, what I thought was a stupid idea at the time, you gave me a foundation, a platform to get to this point. And we've created a, a listener base who still miss you. People were, you know, happy to hear that you are going to come on and co-host this episode, and just to have this platform to keep going and talking to awesome people like, you know, Dave Silvera. They say it right that time. Yes. Okay. But to what we thought, like, how can we talk about Guns N' Roses for this long? But to use that six degrees and to get someone like Dave, and then to find out a story of how influence corn was by guns and roses and with the dueling you know with what how he described the guitar techniques yeah, of izzy and slash i'm genuinely I mean, would we have known back. that i mean has no. he ever spoken I, I, i'm genuinely gonna listen back to hear that because it's just not i i am someone who reads the liner notes of who produced this and i'm i'm like i said a nerd like that but that is not something i picked up on and i'm sure a lot of the listeners haven't either and he's a music guy so that's what he picks up on and I'm going to listen back and check that out. Um, but c- could I mention something else that, that I wanted to talk about here? Please. I mean, you're here. We were texting back and forth, and I guess this is like a uh, something that grinds my gears type segment. <sighs> uh, you know, we always talk about the former members of Guns N' Roses and stuff like that. And I just think it's so lame and it's very apparent that DJ Ashba is, like, buys his social media following because he's a guy who's had a really respectable career doing all different types of stuff, and he could have a ton of followers, you know. But if you go to Bias's uh, Instagram or Twitter, they're not pretending to have a million people listening. Like, they're building something up. Uh, so the example that I showed you, I mean— And like, you know that this—should uh, uh, you know, this be a part of the, the second uh, edition of— News. Is that the breaking news that, that, that DJ uh, buys? breaking news. I mean, I think— the the reason it became apparent to me is is the and the um, example I showed you is like two other major guys who are active on social media Duff McKagan right for example mm-hmm. and Nikki Six how is it that you have more followers on Instagram than those two guys if I went up to people in the street I know a lot more people would know who Duff McKagan and Nikki Six were. And, you know, in the band that he was in, 6AM, the star power of that band was Nikki Six. You were not more famous than him. And this is just a trend now is that people buy followers on social media so they can have that number. And I think anybody who does a minute of research could see that this is not your real following. And why, why – it's 
being a poser, you know, to say I, I have this following. It, it, it makes me think, and that's why I, you know, encourage, you know, you're you're different because you, you were in radio and, you and, you know, you wanted to be a part of this interview and you helped set up this, uh, this conversation with David. Uh, but when I get – when I tell listeners to retweet, to share, to put up those numbers on Facebook and in and, 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 uh, and Twitter that I have, which I think are – I mean they're average because I'm not a, a, a big name. No, but you're good at getting people engaged. But, but, and that – so you know everyone is real, right? Yeah. And thankfully I now have the resume of getting good guests on because I – you know, uh, since I've had him on a couple times, I don't mind saying this because uh, Tommy Stinson, I like his people. But I remember after the first interview was already booked at the time, she goes, oh, you only have 900 followers on on Facebook? I mean it's over 2,000 now, but I felt like a – kind of like a loser because people look at the following. So you know, if you want to get sponsors or I'm sure I've gotten no from guests who see me and it's not like I'm Eddie Trunk. Uh, so that's why it's so important to get these big names, and I'm, I'm continually, uh, continuously amazed that I and, and humble that I get these these people on. But would I feel good if I bought followers to get the guests? No, I wouldn't. So I I know everything that this show is is organic. Yeah. So and, and, you're right. So when you told me that, I was weird, and I do want to give a shout out to a, a listener, and he's been uh, he was a guest on the show, uh, Rick Dunsford. Some might know him as the guy who spent thousands of dollars on the uh, 2001 House of Blues uh, show. He <laughs> – since I'm friends with him on Facebook, I see him – you know, how you, you see people comment on other people's posts. So every time DJ Ashbaugh makes a post, he's like – it'll be like him and his wife at the beach. He's like, oh, man, wouldn't it would be so nice to cool off with some Astro water? And it, <laughs> or just a picture of like, you know – DJ on stage. Oh, where's the Ashburn water? <laughs> every every post he writes something about the Ashburn water. So I'm like, I don't know. Maybe does DJ Ashburn's water have a good social media following? That he can have a million I, followers on Instagram? It doesn't make sense to me. It, it just know. it just doesn't add up. And I I have no problem with the fact that he's like a very entrepreneurial guy. I went to the DJ Ashburn store. In Las Vegas, yeah, you the did. Ashford Swag Store. Yeah, you did. Uh, I didn't get everything, anything because his shirts are like crazy overpriced. It's like $45 for a T-shirt. And if I'm going to spend that, it's probably going to be on a Guns N' Roses shirt and not yeah. a DJ Ashford shirt. <laughs> but, um, and you know, and he's a great guitarist and I love the work that he's done, but I just think that's really lame. But there is a backlash to it. Um, I You saw that I posted a clip. Uh, I'll give them a shout out from Three Sides of the Coin. Uh, Michael Brandvold talked about this because he manages people's social media. And he talked about that there was no engagement on one of his clients' uh, social media despite having hundreds of thousands of followers. And he was like, you bought these followers, didn't you? And they're like, oh, yeah, we bought 200,000 followers. And he's like, yeah, because your engagement sucks because all these sites work the same, Instagram and Facebook. I think Twitter might be a little different. No one is interacting with your page. Then they make it so it's not going to show up on your news feed. So now people are buying engagement too. I've seen that. But you I mean, know that they're buying engagement because that's when you see people who have um, little hearts, you know, as the comment. Or that's all. I always think it's somebody who doesn't speak English, yeah, and just wants like, oh, this is a pretty picture, or or just some kid. But you're right. If they they're paying for interactions, that's why it's again this listenership that we've created is so great. Because I, I know you still follow uh, the AFG show oh, on social media. And then, you know, we ask questions. Sometimes I ask a silly one. Sometimes I ask real ones. And everyone participates and they share. So I know my listeners are real. And 
uh, my guests will see that. Yeah. I think when, when, when guests look at these pages, they might like, oh, he's got a, you know, just over 1,000 on Twitter or he's got over 2,000 on Facebook. But then they see all the comments from my listeners. That's what gets them. Yeah, great engagement. But I just think you could anybody should be able to spot it from a mile away. Um, You know, a friend of mine sent me a picture of him with his fiance out with this girl, and he's like, "Dude, could you believe it? This got six thousand likes." And he doesn't really do social media, so it was from this girl that they were out with. And I look at this girl's Instagram, and I notice like every picture is six thousand likes, but zero comments. There's no engagement. And it's just like you could spot this that from a mile yeah, away. That's, that's and weird. DJ Ashba having a million followers, it just doesn't pass the smell test, as they would say to me. I believe DJ Ashba would have, I don't know, 100,000 followers or something like that. He would have a respectable following. He's been in Guns N' Roses. He's been in 6 a.m. But it does not – I'd really have – someone have to really make a crazy case to me of how he could possibly have a bigger following than Nikki Six or Duff McKagan. Well, I've tried reaching out to – to DJ and of course, you know I'm unlucky to have gotten some of the former members that I've gotten on the show, but you know if it word gets back to him, I would love to to interview him and ask him and you know. But what's I he going to say? I feel like no one owns up to buying fake. Followers. Maybe he doesn't own up to it. I mean, it is yeah. what it is, or he does, and maybe it creates another conversation. Maybe you know where this is the end of the false, uh, you know, the, the fake news era, and it begins with DJ Ashba. <laughs> <laughs> These people are just I, – I think they know it's lame to do, man, and it's just the ego thing. But Or they get, they get convinced by management. They're saying sponsors are, are only looking at followers. Yeah. Well, and- I hope I hope more and more companies personally do their homework, look at engagement, um, look at what the comments are on people's photos because, yeah, we do live in a digital age and social media age. And if people are – if their worth is based on a number – I think people should do their research and see, is this number legit or how engaged is this following? Because, you know, I have I don't have a huge following. I noticed that on Twitter the other day I got I'm up to twenty five hundred now, which is like, cool. I'm very happy with it. It's not it's not DJ Ashman numbers. <laughs> but I notice when I put something up, I get a lot of engagement because I, I don't um I, I don't bore people to death with promoting every little thing I'm a part of. I try right. to make the post's interesting. I try not to overdo it. Um, you know, and th- there's ways of getting around it. I do notice certain artists, um, actually, you know, places that you've worked, you've seen it before. They'll put up posts that say, um, what was your favorite live band to see? Mm-hmm. And things like because you know people love to talk about that stuff. And it is a way of getting engagement That's with That's something that I've learned yeah. from, from working at FM stations is, and maybe you guys have noticed on, on uh, my social media, I'll ask you a question, you know, what was your favorite track off Ain't Life Grand or, uh, you know, whether it be a, a silly one where I asked, uh, what's your favorite famous pig? And because Axel had a wore a pig nose back in the day and I put a porky pig and, yeah. you know, so I mean, silly ones and people are going to comment and that's what works. I, I recently, it's, I don't think it's out yet as I'm recording this, uh, this sp- uh, specific episode, but I recently did a Metallica uh, podcast that we were talking about social media and we talked about alternativenation.net and I know a, a, a lot of people don't like what they do with the clickbait. I saw Nikki Six recently comment on uh, Metal Head Zone, a very clickbaity uh, headline. It's the interactions, man. So when you make a 
it's more than just the keywords that will beat the algorithm on Facebook. You know, reveals. That's why you see that a lot. Uh, Google and Facebook are going to pick that up more. But it's the interaction. So if you see a sensationalistic headline, and all the comments are, you know, fuck you, fake news, clickbait. What is this shit? You are interacting. Yeah. And then That's... your friends on your t- on your Facebook friends are going to see your interaction, and then they're going to look at the article. So it's a it's an ecosystem of bullshit. Yeah, I would just say, I mean, I, a lot of people don't follow this in this age, but I would say, as a journalist, radio personality, whatever, you do have a um, uh, kind of an integrity thing of don't don't put something that doesn't correspond with what really happened. I know. This is this is unrelated to news, but I'll give you an example right now. Um, when I was doing soft rep radio up until recently, we did an episode talking about Kratom. I don't know if you've seen all the things, or, or it's called Kratom sometimes. It's getting people off of uh, heroin, and oh, there's a documentary about it on Netflix, I'm guessing. I know you know. Narcan. Okay. If you, you'll you notice it now. You'll see gas stations all over. We sell Kratom. Just like you see CBD oil, um, Kratom is like one of these newer I alternative thought they were, medicines. Oh, I thought they were doing that, honestly, with Narcan and like vending machines. Okay. I th- I've heard about that. I think I saw that on News 12 Long Island. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really familiar with that. So, But the Kratom thing, um, the government wants to definitely regulate it. And it's being sold as a uh, – not as a supplement. I don't even know. You, you don't really get it at supplement stores. You'll see it at a gas station. So anyway, I saw a headline from, I believe, NBC News, and it said Kratom linked to more deaths uh, you know, nationwide. So I clicked on it. And I read the article. I talked about this on SoftRep on a, a not episode not too long ago. But you scroll to like the second paragraph in the article, and it was pretty much like ninety nine percent of the people who died from uh, kratom also had some form of like heroin or fentanyl in their system, all different types of things. Now, is it the kratom that killed them? I am going to say no. See, that stuff is dangerous. Yeah, that's and that's fake news. That is, and that's dangerous. That's a I don't want to be complacent just because, you know, I've become friendly with Brett from Alt Nation and, and I do – it's not my method. They know that. Um, but I'm not going to tell anyone how to run their business. Sure. I don't see anything as dangerous with the rock clickbait headlines. However, to bring it back to what we do, I know that irks Guns and Roses, even if it is a sensationalistic headline yeah. and – you know the fact that they just added more dates that's not in this lifetime. I mean, maybe it's not as delicate as it once was. You know, people envisioning Axel seeing some clickbait head- headline and just ending the whole thing right then and there. But I've also been told people should read the article. But that's not dismissing anything you said. I just, I, I only, I guess I admit I've become somewhat complacent because it is, it's 2019. It's the beast we've all created. Yeah. You know, it's it's much deeper. Than uh, than just alt nation. <laughs> it goes. Oh yeah. It goes. It's just, it's our society. It's the instant gratification. You know, it could be tied to fast food. Just the wanting things now, now, now. I want my information now. Uh, so where all which is fine. I think as long as the information is accurate and presented accurately. That, um, that's all I, I ask for. So even if it's clickbait on my podcast, you know, you can always listen to the actual audio. And here in full context. So that's why I never get pissed off at a headline. As long as what I say or my guest says is in context, okay, then you run your business the way you need to run it. And how, and you're helping me get my shit out there. And I know I'm not misleading anybody. Um, 
it's just the world that we live in, man. I, yeah. I, I don't uh, I don't envy journalists because it's it's there's so much. We were joked again at the beginning. Uh, everybody and their mother has a podcast. Everybody and their mother has a blog or their journalistic website. It's the, it's a wild, wild uh, west out there. So yeah. I mean, I, I am glad to know people though, and proud to know people that don't sacrifice their integrity for clicks. Um, you know, uh, I get it. E- even where I used to, to work for people who are listening and may have listened to soft rep, like Jack Murphy, who I did the, sh- the podcast with twice every week, like is a true journalist and he really gives the real story on stuff. Um, so like a lot of people are pissed off that he wrote about this Eddie Gallagher stuff. I don't know if you've been following it, but the no. Navy SEAL accused of war crimes and oh, all, okay. all, these, all these people are sticking up for this guy. And Jack is writing an article. He wrote an article about that there's a lot of guys who served with this man who say that yeah he committed war crimes he he walked he walked around and showed off about things that he did that were illegal that were immoral and and people are pissed at him and they're clicking on it he didn't write that article though to for clickbait he's writing it because he has journalistic integrity and I'm glad that there's people like that that are combating just the clickbait of uh, support this guy without really reading into what's Absolutely. really going on. And that's the approach, though, I give to this specific podcast. It's hard to control the environment around me, but that's why I, you know, I said to Dave off the air, if there's anything you don't want to talk about, yeah. I don't want to talk about it either. I don't get these people on to get that sensationalistic headline that will be turned into – Clickbait. Although what he said about Corey Taylor was pretty funny, which was awesome. Yeah, but like, I, by the that's way, just my approach. I have I have a journalistic approach to what I'm doing here on the podcast. It, Everything else around me, I mean, what do they say? Like, if you can't control it, like, what do you get? What do you get to get angry about? Yeah, in my experience, and I'm wondering yours, that rarely happens. Though that I rarely have someone say, "Hey, could you take that out of the interview?" And if it's something we agreed to, I'm fine with it. But I feel like it rarely happens um, that it, someone tells me uh, that they needed to, oh. this to be taken it's out. It's happened a couple times for me. Um, I don't want to say anything like it's it's crazy where you heard anything uh, that, that you missed out uh, on something that would be on, you know, the the DVD, Blu-ray extras and, you know, you wish that was included. But sometimes it's uh, – one good example, uh, a fair example is when I interviewed uh, Eric Valentine who produced the, that slash, the first Slash record with all the singers – and he's produced uh, other, with, worked with other artists, and one was with Gwen Stefani on a Christmas album. And he was talking about that. And then after the fact, he's like, you know what? I don't think she's announced that yet. Can you take that out? Sure. Yeah, that's totally understandable. Right, right. So, And if anything, it speaks to like how candid the guy is being that he would kind of blurt it out at first. He's getting comfortable with you, and then he realizes, ah, I can't say that right yeah, now. Yeah, no, so, it's, it's never happened to, to any um, – and I'll just say it was a while ago when I interviewed London Hudson uh, just to be on the safe side. It's his first interview ever. He's 15. You know, sometimes you can be 15, 16 now. You can say things off the cuff, silly. And I didn't want to corner him with anything. You yeah. know, uh, like with the Chinese, when he mentioned he doesn't see a lot of Chinese democracy shirts at GNR shows. I mean, it just it's not a slighted GNR. It's just what he sees, and most and that's reality. Yeah, uh, you're gonna see user illusion and appetite crosses so i wanted to do right by him i don't want him to sound like a jerk because he's that's not what he meant so i'm like all right let me go back and make an edit because that's just that doesn't need to be there yeah there's been stuff that i've cut out because i i'm like oh if someone isolates this this could sound wrong and i'm it's me looking out for them because 
they've I've become friends right. with them or something. Um, you know, I mean, they're they're grown adults, but there's definitely times where I'm like, this could be really bad. But you, most of the time, it's not a problem. But it's live, though. We're yeah. people. We can say things, you know, not like we have Tourette's, but we can say <laughs> something oh, yeah. th- that we wish we didn't say we could take back in the moment. doesn't mean uh, we're bad people or, you know, it's like we're writing a book in a way right now. Are you going to put out the first draft of your book? No, you're going to go back and edit and edit and edit. So that's what I, I – while I try to have a live feel, I want a well-produced book, an ed, you know, a proofread book put out there. While you're, you're, you're getting the real deal, but at the same time, I, I'm looking out for everyone's uh, you know, well-being and, and just trying to do right by everybody. Yeah, I, I've told you this story before off the air, but I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the podcast, but it pertains to it. Um, when I was at Sirius XM, I board up Dave Navarro, who I'm a huge fan of. And someone said to me, I asked, hey, can I, do you think I can get a picture with Dave after the uh, interview? And they were like, yeah, if, if he has time, absolutely. Uh, but they told me, hey, please do not mention the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So I was like, all right, I wasn't going to. After the interview, um, I said to him, hey, Dave, like huge fan, would love to get a picture with you. You were the first concert I ever saw. And he goes, oh, cool, man. Which concert was that? And at that point, I'm not going to say, I'm, I'm not going to say, not say the band name because you told me to. Like, he, he directly asked me the question. So I said it was uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, One Hot Minute Tour, Nassau Coliseum. And he goes, I remember that show, man. It almost got snowed out. There was a blizzard. And it was, he was absolutely right. So it's pretty crazy that show was that memorable to him. Um, and he couldn't have been nicer. So it's sometimes a publicist who is very worried. I mean, is he going to flip out because I said the word Red Hot Chili Peppers? Like, I, it's a part of his history. I get that a lot, from not just from rock stars, but what we do here at, at Premier Radio Networks where they want you to make sure that you focus on the new product because it's their life. They have something new to sell. Or, hey, this person is okay talking about this, but please don't make it the focus. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things to take into account, but if anything, I just let people know that uh, I will do that for them. I don't want to get them in a gotcha moment when it's not live, and I feel it, it le- allows people to trust me more and the show more, and one of the reasons why I've been able to continue and keep getting bigger and bigger guests because I would like to think my reputation with my guests is wanting their priority to be number one. Their, oh, yeah. Their number one priority is my number one priority. For sure. When when I booked Dave, they asked for a link to the shows, even though I already told them it was on iHeart and everything. And I'm sure that they either listened to episodes or skimmed through episodes and they're like, all right, this is legit. This isn't, you know, going to be some radio interview where we try to get him on something. And and to Dave's credit, he has no problem talking about his history with corn. I think a lot of guys would. Yeah, I was, I was really curious. Yeah. I think a lot of guys would be better about it because, you know, they are. Just like the same way as Guns N' Roses, they're air quotes reunited now, but they're really not reunited. It's not the original lineup, and I could see being bitter about that. And he seems completely uh, over it and open to working with them again at some point, but right now he's focused on his new band. He's just got to be in a uh, a good place mentally, and you know, uh, I, I don't want to assume one thing or another because I've only met uh, Brian Head Welsh, and he was super nice, and you know, he's... Uh, on a different plane than most cats. Uh, I would love to interview the rest of the guys at some point. I read so, both of his books, saw the documentary. Yeah, uh, Doc was good, but I, I don't want to assume when you know when it's like oh I, that they were immature and that Dave was mature. You know, I don't want yeah. to know that. But if he's in a 
if he's in a good relationship right now, use that. Like, like just keep going with that. You don't need to keep looking back. But it's great that he still embraces his past and is really appreciative of those who embrace his past as well. And of course, including the the future with bias. Yeah, and you are right. I do like the fact that Stephen Adler is still brought on stage for Guns and Roses, and and they're not doing what they did with Corn or, as I said, with Van Halen. If you go to Van Halen's website or anything, there is no sign of Michael Anthony. It's like he was never in the band, and that's not cool. He was an integral part of you know these guys that started one of the greatest rock bands of all time. And I I do like seeing Wolfgang on stage, and I think he's a great player, but, you know, he's not the guy who was there on 1984 or Van Halen He too. wasn't even born then. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I completely uh, get that, understand that. It goes the, the same thing as for this podcast. Even though it's not the original lineup of Brando and, and Scotto, you know, hopefully, I'm glad that people have been able to take me solo. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, but you were nothing... always welcome back on stage, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like I said, interviewing people that I respect, it really never gets old. Um, but I'm looking forward to just seeing new things with the band. I really do hope new music is true. I know Slash said they're just in, like, the beginning stages. Um, I'd like to see yeah. something out there. I don't think it's ever going to happen in terms of the Chinese democracy follow-up material, but I would love to hear that. I, I just feel like the one thing that's missing with this band was like that element of surprise for the people who were following during Chinese democracy. Because as you guys know, because the people who listen to this are hardcore fans, it was like when Robin Fink left the band and DJ Ashba came in, there was a big period of them doing a whole lot of nothing. And then they toured and it excited people because they were like, when are you going to get to see them again? It excited me. Um and then they they did – I got to see the show in Pennsylvania at Bethlehem, which was right before the Vegas shows, um, which were the last shows that that lineup ever did. And it was a long hiatus of, all right, what's happening? Is there really going to be a reunion? And I just want to – like there are things they could do that would excite us and surprise us other than new tour dates. And that's, of course, bringing Izzy out on stage. We want to see that. We want to hear new music. That's what really people want right now. That's why I said at the beginning, a new documentary that basically gave a new spin on old material was just like, oh my god, I ate it up because it's 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 something, you know. Even if they put out a recorded track of a Wichita lineman, you know, not necessarily a, a cover, just something. So I I I hope that I mean this is I mean it's how can I even say this about Guns N' Roses? There's. I, you hope there's a plan. You yeah. hope there's a plan. I mean, it's, we're the idiots who try to guess that plan. But if anything, the fact that we started this podcast before – we did it before the first reunion show. I, I, I honestly forget. We were talking about the first reunion show when we did episode – I think it was – no, I, th- I think the reunion happened because Anthony Boza we had on episode two. Or three. I think we had him on three. three. Yeah, three. And he was going to the actual shows and there was a little bit of a gap between that April 1st. Okay. Yeah. So the fact that it's still something is continuing, that it's positive. I know Slash and Duff say the same thing all the time. It's positive in this camp right now. I mean, I mean, you just said it. There was so uh, a period where they we got nothing on yeah. nothing, a big nothing burger, and look where we are now. We're, we're at least we're getting dates, we're getting festival dates, we're, yeah. we're getting positive reports. I do forget, you know, that we are the hardcore fan, 
and the average person, they just want to see them on tour. They want to see them play the hits. They want to see Sweet Child of Mine mm-hmm. and Rocket Queen and all these great songs. And they don't really care about these, to them, like minor things. And, you know, if Guns N' Roses put out an album now, is it even going to be number one on the iTunes chart or number one in streaming? I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, it's like more people are more excited for Ariana Grande putting out a surprise. Or Little Nas X. I like I like Little Nas X. I, I like that song. Yeah, you. It's the it's the one song that that's popular now. I was so long island there. One song. It was <laughs> the one song that he has, and you'll never hear about him again. You know I that. actually i i I think he's Why got he more ha- in, to him. I I I think you're going to be hearing his name. I actually really do. Unless, no, I won't. Unless he comes out with a sex tape. Hey, I won't. when. When Cardi B put out that Bodak Yellow song, I was she like, sucks. "This." Is, I'm not a fan, but when she put that out, I was like, this is a one-hit wonder. She's going away. Now you can't go anywhere without hearing She's her. She's just become a, a Kardashian. Yeah. She's become but a celebrity. But Lil Nas X, I've actually heard his material before this. Um, I've heard, because he posts on Twitter, like what he's working on, and it actually sounds really good. I, I dig it, and I'm, I don't dig a lot of new rap, so... No, that's okay. Or, or country rap, whatever you want to call Despite it. Despite some people, uh, what some people may say, I will not dismiss you because of your <laughs> love of hip hop. Yeah, I will not do that to you. But I'm not. I'm not a fan of like newer rap, really. And he's doing something definitely different and interesting. And he's he's like riding this oh, wave of one song. Rappers. Oh my god, where where's the next Guns N' Roses? God damn it! This yeah. is why I'm doing I, a podcast. Well, I'll tell you this: it is not, in my opinion, uh, we've talked about it. Greta Van Fleet, and the first time I ever heard the name Greta Van Fleet was Catherine in here on the podcast. Oh yeah, we remember we, we were like, oh Greta Van Susteren. You said yeah, because I never and they've blown up. They're the biggest thing, and I am not a fan. I am not impressed. They sound like Zeppelin. I, I can't it's get past exactly it. like them. Um, I, I'll I, promote once again because I'm wearing the shirt. Ninety six Better Beings was like the one rock album I heard last year that I felt this is incredible, start to finish. It's a an incredible campaign. is an incredible album. So there are, but they're not a really new band. I mean, Darren Biller's been in CKY forever. Um, I can't really point to like a new new band that I'm personally loving right now. But I'm also 33 years old. Maybe I'm not up on you know what's the newest thing right now. I mean, if if you're over the hill at 33, where am I? Where am I at 35? <laughs> Life is over. No, it's just got to change, man. That's why it, it's so. I wish Axel would be more more vocal about music, especially new music, because I think he would have an influence. I mean, it's nice to hear Slash and Duff talk about Red Van Fleet, but they they're not changing the dial. They I, are in some way, but I just want to hear something original. Um, you know, when Guns N' Roses came out, there was no band that sounded anything remotely like them. You know, it's uh, we've talked about it on the show, and I mentioned them being in the hair metal genre. You're like, yeah, you can't really put them in that genre. And I do get that because they transcend everything. And there hasn't been a band in a long time that transcends uh, what genre you could put them in. Korn, I mean, when you hear Korn Greta, was, was there. Absolutely. When you hear Greta Van Fleet, I think all of us think this sounds like Led Zeppelin. And I, I don't know, bands to me that sound... Like a clone of another band, just don't really do it for me. It's got to be something new to, to put, you know, that make the hair on my arms stand up. And yeah, there are some younger, you know, I don't even know if you consider Hailstorm young anymore, but they are on the younger side. But yeah, we need the up every day. It seems like there's a new up and coming SoundCloud rapper or whatever that everyone's following on, on social media. Where are where's the next? Not even just Guns N' Roses. 
where's the next Axl Rose of just the next rock star that's not manufactured, that's a real dude that just transcends, you know, pop culture? Where is that? Where is that? So uh, I'll keep doing podcasts until we find one. <laughs> I don't know. Hell yeah, man. This has been a good one. We weren't really long here. Well, uh, I, I got to, uh, you know, squeeze uh, squeeze you as long as you're here. Yeah. No, I, I enjoyed doing it. Uh, like I said, dream interview. Um, and if people want to follow me, I'm at Ian Scotto on Twitter. Not currently on Instagram. I might make one soon. Uh, I'm doing more like fitness-related stuff. Facebook.com slash Ian Scotto Radio. Um, and I still am, for those who may have seen, I'm still selling T-shirts that I uh, helped design. Uh, that are like inspired by Japanese and urban artwork. Um, and since I've had time, I've been sending those out. So if you want to order a shirt for me, they, they're really cool. The guy who designed them designed the Appetite for Distortion logo. So like, if okay. you like the logo, Aaron Lauder, right? uh, yeah, he's he's the man. Like I told him exactly what I wanted, and we went through some drafts. And yeah, I I designed those shirts in early 2018. I opened up an incorporation, which I, like I handle all of them, all my stuff through now. Um, but I still have shirts, and like people have been ordering them. So. Yeah, check them. If you go to add Ian Scotto, you'll, you'll see a link for them. At somewhere. some point, I'm going to get your help making uh, AFD shirts. It's very uh, simple, man. Yeah, I know. Should, I'm just lazy, it. and I'm, I'm trying to save some money. And and Aaron does a great job in terms of the graphics. Oh, he, he's absolutely. like my go-to guy. Yeah, so uh, we'll see. Maybe uh, in the future, AFD shirts brought to you by Scotto brand. We'll see. <laughs> but thanks, you know, thanks for coming on. Obviously, our friendship will continue even though the episode is over. Uh, thanks for everyone for listening, whether you found us on the iHeartRadio app, Spreaker, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, YouTube. Uh, it's still on Apple Podcasts. That's become uh, – you know, I know some people have some issues finding some episodes because of some uh, attacks that happened to us a, a couple like – a year or so ago. So ridiculous. I mean – but Apple's – I mean customer service sucks. Uh, so we're, we're on there, but regardless, if you have any problems finding an episode or listening to, just DM me. And uh, if it, worst case scenario, I just personally send you the audio. So facebook.com slash AFD show or on Twitter at the AFD show. And of course, we're also on uh, alternativenation.net on their podcast tab. So uh, that does it for this episode. It just it keeps getting crazier and crazier. The guests that we have come on and our, our co-hosts included. So when will you see the next episode of the AFD show in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy? I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. No! Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home. <laughs>